Yeah. Welcome back. It's another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz with you as we talk the world of the Hawkeyes. It is Cyhawk week and Biz, a busy one for me here in Central Iowa. And you have made your way to Central Iowa, getting closer and closer to Ames. Just what you like, right? Yeah, that's the last thing I want to do this week is get closer to Ames. But yeah, I'm here in studio. And once again, I'd like to lodge my complaint that you guys have a massively large... Uh, picture of of Cy here and, and no matching photo of Herky. So well, that, look that over your right remedied. look over your right shoulder. Oh, you did fix it. Yes, we got the perfection yeah. poster from the Cedar Rapids Gazette up there, the 12 and 0. So, since you were here last, yes, I've asked for improvements and got it. All right, complaint revoked, I suppose then. So. Luckily, our program director is a Hawkeye fan and he he saw thought the exact same thing. So, we got things evened up in here, but you're right. We do need to get a Herky over there. Fortunately, people are shooting baskets too much. Can't put it over on that wall, get knocked off and broken. So, yeah, let's see. We got plenty of things we can probably replace. Maybe that thing right back there would be a good place to start. Yeah, they got some 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 old school photos in here. There might be time for a uh, update on a few things. But uh, again, the second time I've been in the in the actual studio, I'm pretty impressed, Trent. You guys had some pretty nice digs here. It is. Uh, we're very lucky, no doubt, to have what we have in uh, our neighbors down at WHO 1040, where you can hear the Hawkeye games all throughout football and basketball season. A big part of uh, the reason that we get to use these kind of studios is what they have there. Well, it is Cyhawk Week, but before we get into that. One final look back at Rutgers. It was a dominating performance, historically good for Iowa. Give up just 125 yards, a total offense to the Scarlet Knights offense. Is it the Iowa defense is elite or it's Rutgers? I think probably a little of both, but uh, more importantly, Trent, as a podcast that loves our punting, uh, that that was basically <laughs> that was uh, punter porn on Saturday. <laughs> that was it. Doesn't get any better from a, from a punting perspective. Both guys. Uh, Really balling out. Uh, I mean, obviously, Sleep Dalton was good, but the Rutgers punter was uh, was never was you know next level good. That guy, uh, that guy put on a show. So, Rutgers may not be good, but they've got the world's greatest punter. That they do. And Sleep Dalton, you're right. He looked very good. Even with all of that, though, the Rutgers punter didn't win conference special teams player of the week. It was the Ohio State punter. I mean, this you talk about being on brand. This is very on brand for the Big Ten. We got fights about who was the best punter last week. Well, we talked last week a little bit about how Iowa's gotten hosed by the Big Ten over the years with scheduling. I think this may have been a simple uh, thing of the Big Ten. Uh, forgot that Rutgers was even part of their uh, – they added them a few years back. I'm guessing over the years there have been very few Rutgers uh, winners in any of the categories, offense, defense, or special teams, and so they've just kind of taken for granted that – don't don't waste your time looking at the Rutgers box score. So, but yeah, it was pretty funny to see the uproar and and how many Iowa people went to bat for this guy. And uh, but yeah, it was well deserved. Uh, out, I'm not sure outrage is is necessary, but his stats were uh, ten times better than the Ohio State guy. And uh, I see Ray guy and the national award mm-hmm. uh, made up for it. Adam Corsick is the name of the punter for Rutgers. So we'll give him a shout out and and shout out and probably with that. One of the last times we'll be talking about Rutgers going forward. Not a very good football team. Chris Ash, is it a place you can win in the current construction of the Big Ten and, and moving over there? You know, Shiano had it running, but it was the Big East. This is just a completely different animal coupled with it being Rutgers. And people, even New Jersey kids, don't want to play football at Rutgers. You're playing 
Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State every single year, not to mention whatever crossovers you may have. It almost feels like an impossible situation for them. Well, this is year four for Chris Ash. I mean, he's been given time to, to to fix things. And, you know, being there live, Trent, you really realized their defensive line was was the smallest defensive line I've ever seen from a, a really? Big Ten opponent. They were clearly smaller on the D-line than Miami of Ohio was. I mean, they just – they don't look the part. They obviously didn't uh, didn't play the part. Um, you know, I think the writing's on the wall for Chris Ash. I, I don't think they'll give him a fifth year unless they play uh, remarkably better than they did on Saturday. Because I mean, the only reason that game wasn't fifty some to nothing was was the before mentioned punter. I mean, yeah. If, if he doesn't put us inside the five, whatever, four times inside the eleven, six times, I think we score forty five, fifty points, and uh, you're talking about a. a Fifty some to nothing victory instead of thirty to nothing. But a uh, couple before we jump past Rutgers, there was a uh, an oddity on uh, on Saturday. No tight end catches for the Hawks. Yeah, over twenty targets again for the wide receiver group. Good group uh, uh, that Smith Marset kind of led with the four catches, the two touchdowns, and go over over a hundred yards. But I don't know. Did Stat Boy? Did he look at that the last time we didn't have a tight end catch? Of course he did. <laughs> so, and actually, it's not quite as far back as I thought. Um, it's been 39 straight games with a catch by our tight ends. But the more interesting stat um, going into Saturday, we had had 17 straight games with with at least three catches by our tight hmm. ends. So, uh, you know, obviously last year was uh, you know an exception to the rule as far as tight ends, but. Uh, Going back through those 39 games, I think this was only the, the there was one game with one catch, and then uh, it was the home opener against Miami Ohio back in 2016 when we had no no tight end catches. So, yeah, I, I guess Trent, is that uh, do you see that as a concern, and, and it's going to be a, a season long problem with tight ends, or is it just something that we haven't showcased that at all, and, and we've kind of keeping that in our back pocket, and, and we will use them uh, when necessary this year? I, I don't think it's well. It's not going to be dynamic by any means. Not only what they had last year, but you know, going back, there's not a guy that you look at like a Scott Chandler, a guy that's you know going to be able to go up the seam consistently, consistently, and make those kind of plays. I think you're you're going to see probably a nice game at some point this season. You know, Weeding maybe he'll catch a short touchdown and he'll have a game where he catches four or five balls. Now it might be for thirty yards in those four or five catches because that's the kind of player he has. Byer will make a couple of plays, but overall. You're not going to see that consistency, but if Weedy can block and play his role in that one, I think you're fine, and you're fine because of the wide receiver group. I feel confident with five guys. They have five Big Ten receivers, something I don't know if we can ever say in the Ferentz era, at least at that point in their careers, and because of that, I don't see this as a big deal right now. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've even, Weedy's even had a target in two games. Has I he? think you're I, right, yeah. I know there, the first game there was a fourth and short, I think it might have been the first drive of the game even, um, where he clearly was the uh, was going to be the target, and uh, he got held and kind of tripped up, and mm-hmm. then we ended up throwing it somewhere else. But uh, you know, it, it kind of surprises me, I guess, a little bit, because I think the coaching staff kind of went out of their way to talk about how good he's looked in practice and for us not to target him at all the first two games I I guess I see it as I guess I'm a little bit more of a concern than uh than you do just because 
you know, we've done such a good job over the first two weeks of, of balance as far as, like you said, targets to everyone. We've, mm -hmm. you know, first game we had, what, 10 guys catch a ball. I think we had eight guys catch a ball in week two. But, uh, you know, if you don't target him at all in two weeks, that seems to be – to me, it's it's probably shows that he's just not open at all. I mean, yeah. They, yeah. Not, he, they but he can't they, get they open. They don't think he can yeah. get open. Yeah, so. yeah. But he's a heck of a blocker. He, mm -hmm. he uh, You know, he serves a purpose still. But uh, – yeah, it's good. You know, it could be interesting. We may go from the the best uh, <laughs> the best tight end season in the Ferrance era to, to potentially the worst in one year. Because I, I mean, I don't see. I mean, what's a realistic over under for tight end catches this year? Is, is it group 30, 35? That's exactly where I was going. I, Thirty was the first number that jumped to my head. Say fifteen out of Buyer, ten out of Weeding, and five for you know both Cook and. You know, the freshman that have played a little bit. What was it, Laporta? Is that the name of the kid that we've seen out there? Look like he's going to burn his red shirt this year and be out there and, more importantly, hopefully be ready for next season and be able to play perhaps a starting role. So, yeah, I think 30 is a realistic target there. Realistic prop, and unfortunately we can't have player props, but we'll get to some props here for the Seahawks game a little bit later on. Anything else from Rutgers you want to touch on? Let's give Statboy a, uh, a post-podcast assignment. Let's, what is the lowest... Uh, Ah, yeah. Season catches for tight ends uh, in the Ferrance era. So, uh, Statboy, get on that, and you can you can put it on Twitter before the game. So, uh, I'm guessing I'm guessing there may be a few of those years early on that we may may not have hit 30. But I'm guessing over the last when the only play that worked was the bubble screen to Kevin Casper. Exactly. I'm not you know, I'm not sure we even had a tight end in our roster those first couple of years. But well, they did. He was playing tackle. I mean, Bruce Nelson should have been a tight end at that point in his career. He had to play outside. Well, and then had you, to play got, you got Gallery who started. Uh, our, our tight end slowly morphed into a uh, you know all Big Ten tight uh, tackles instead. So, so we'll see though if, if uh, Stat Boy get on that and find out the the tight end uh, catches over the years for us. So. What other note I had? Your boy Christian Welch, you picked to have the most tackles before the year. He looked good. He he was out there. I thought he was making a lot of plays, kind of sideline to sideline. Jamon Colbert, I, I thought he played well. And then he graded out from Pro Football Focus, and we've talked about in the past, you know exactly what they're grading. But he didn't grade out very well. But overall, you give up 125 yards against anybody, you're doing a lot well. Well, and I think our, our linebackers have been probably the most pleasant surprise of the team for through two weeks because, you know, we had been sold on this cash position mm -hmm. so much coming into the year, and it, it's hardly been used. And, and you know, I I've always been a big fan of Nick Neiman. I, I think he's a guy that. Uh, really understands the game and he's a sure tackler. And, you know, I, I think part of the reason people kind of forget that, you know, at the end of the Wisconsin game, he got hurt. Mm -hmm. And I, I know we've kind of talked about that the coaching staff decided at the Wisconsin game to make the change to that cash position. And, and obviously it was a good change and a smart decision, but I think part of that was just out of necessity. Neiman was hurt and wasn't going to be able to play for a couple of weeks. And so, you know, I, I like seeing him back and, and, because of the uh, attrition in the uh, in the back in the defensive backfield, I think uh, love it or hate it, we're going to see a lot of four three the next few weeks. Just because uh, we're down to what six or seven uh, scholarship D backs available. Yeah, it's getting down to the nitty gritty certainly, and and with that, I mean, what are they going to do? Go to a four four if injuries keep happening? Go old school there. It's something's going to happen, and and the safety depth. There's a lot of concerns there. Cornerback, of course, and especially as it continues to be speculated about Hankins and what he's going to be in his availability for Saturday. Biz, uh, you mentioned Stat Boy, as I did a little bit early on. He was at work this week, and 
he was looking at Phil Parker, looking back at great defensive performances under his tutelage. Well, you mentioned the, you know, we held Rutgers to 125 yards and it got me thinking, you know, in the last seven Big Ten games, that's the third shutout the Hawks have had. Wow. We shut out Illinois uh, at the end of the year last year. We shut out Maryland uh, last October. Uh, and we shut out Rutgers, obviously, on Saturday. Three of the last seven Big Ten games have been shutouts. And more amazing than that, in those three games, none of the opponents got past our 40-yard line. Wow. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. You want to know how incredible it is? In the first 20 years of Kirk Ferentz football, you know how many games ever we had had a uh, a shutout where the opponent didn't get past the 40? I, I would guess it never happened before. That is correct. It never happened. And now it's happened three times in seven Big Ten uh, games. So uh, part of that's the opponents. Um, yeah. Illinois was uh, packing it in last year, and Rutgers, obviously, we've talked about was not good. But, hell, you've seen Maryland. I mean, they put points up on on everybody, and they're mm-hmm. putting them up at a uh, historic pace to start this year. Um, but it certainly seems, you know, all three of those opponents kind of have some similarities as far as, you know, wanting to do a lot of side-to-side stuff and, and a lot of uh, spread stuff. You know, it seems like uh, Parker has kind of uh, figured that out. And, and those types of teams, the Rutgers and the, the Maryland's of the world, have really struggled. So so my my job for Stat Boy is to go back and find out the three shutouts in seven Big Ten games, has it ever happened before? What's your guess? Do you think it has? I would say yes. It's been a long history of the Big Ten. There were some great teams in the 1950s when scoring wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is today. So I'll say yes. Once again, this is you've got to be cheating on some of these things. <laughs> How would I know this? Well, you, you're convenient back to the 50s. That's the exact answer. Well, I mean, it just takes a little bit of critical thinking here and you can figure that out it, it didn't happen in the 80s or 90s or, but you think back of the great teams the national championship team yes it's Nin- easy well 1956 Trent was there the it year is. Uh, Rose Bowl team nine and one I think we do have a uh, mythical national championship we've claimed from that year haven't we but in 58 uh, I believe is was the, it, well one of the years yes what was it back then there was like eight different publications there that was. gave out national championships the UPI so. national champions that year well we'll take it so yeah that team 1956 Shut out Indiana, Minnesota, and Ohio State in a six-game stretch. So, so you got to go back uh, 63 years to to a a better stretch of Big Ten defensive football for the Hawks. Um, there was a stretch in '96 and into '97 where they had three shutouts in four games, hmm. but uh, only one of those three was was a Big Ten team. The end of '96 year, we shut out Wisconsin, 31 to nothing. Uh, then at the end of the year, we went to the Alamo Bowl and shut out Texas Tech, uh, 27-0, and, and shut down By- Byron Hansbarb. And then the opener in 97, we shut out your uh, your UNI Panthers 66 to nothing. So. Well, it wasn't Byron Hansbarb not eligible for that Alamo Bowl because he had a 0.00 GPA? I believe that is correct, yeah. I think he uh, <laughs> he went all in on, on flunking. So, but, uh, yeah, so that that's a great stretch, but I don't think it's impressive because – Wisconsin was terrible back then, and you and I obviously was was not what they are now with a sixty-six to nothing uh, stretch. But Stat Boy, being who he is, um, there is some some great info he was able to dig up from the nineteenth century, Trent. Okay, so this is the farthest back I think the time machine has ever gone. You ready to go back to the the legendary eighteen ninety six Iowa football team? Eighteen ninety six. 
Now, I, I'll be I'll admit this. I, I know nothing about this squad. Well, I hope not. So the coach that year was A. E. Bull. Um, he had joined in that year. The year before, 1895, the team played, but they did not have a coach. No coach listed in 95. They just uh, <laughs> just played their own game. <clears throat> so Mr. Bull comes in in 1896, and, and it's obviously the greatest defensive performance in Iowa history because they played nine games. Seven of them were shutouts, and they only gave up 12 points the entire year long. But the best thing about going back to 1896, Trent, is to listen – to the seven teams we shut out. You ready to hear who we uh, who we shut out that year? Seven teams they shut out. I, okay, um, I'm sure there's going to be some heavy hitters here. Well, four of them are four of them are pretty common names, but okay. the two others are classic. So Drake in Kansas to start the year we shut out. Then we shut out Wilton. Wilton. So I don't know if that's Wilton just High Wil- School. I don't know if that's Wilton High School or a, somebody named Wilton we shut out. <laughs> then we play Missouri, so that's a legitimate one. But our fifth shut out, my personal favorite. We shut out the mighty Des Moines YMCA. (laughs) YMCA. The Des Moines YMCA had a squad back then. And then the sixth and seventh, Trent, was Nebraska. Twice. Twice? And not only twice, but twice in three days. We played Nebraska on November 26th and turned around and played them again on November 28th. So why? I have no idea. But... uh, 1896, a legendary defense, uh, seven shutouts in nine games. So Phil Parker's still got some work to do to, to get to A.E. Bulls level. <laughs> that is incredible. Some great names on there. That, that's one thing I do like to look through as you're thumbing through, and if you get you know one of the media guides or presses and, and going through and looking about some of those teams, you know, Iowa pre-flight, a very famous story in college football realm, a played on the University of Iowa's campus, but it wasn't the University of Iowa. It was just completely different circumstances back then. Uh, Iowa taking on Grinnell. I mean, imagine what that would look like today. Well, Iowa it, it's perfect that we're, we're going into this this week, Trent, because Rutgers is the uh, the birthplace <laughs> of college football. I think yes. they were the the first game 150 years ago. So Rutgers does not have does not have much going for them, but they can claim uh, that they are the birthplace. So. One last thing in the time machine before we get back and, and talk about the, uh, the Iowa State game, Trent. But mm-hmm. Stat Boy, one more info on shutouts. Can you guess? Uh, give me a rough estimate as to the longest stretch that Iowa's ever gone without a shutout. Longest stretch without a shutout. Again, you would kind of think back to the bad days and the days before Hayden, but that almost seems too easy. Let's go in that... Mid nineties to early two thousand run. That's where I'm going to go. Well, your initial thought was the second longest. The late sixties into the seventies. I think we went seventy six games oh. without without a shutout. But the the longest streak is actually surprising because it's relatively recent. From two thousand ten through two thousand sixteen, we did not register a shutout in eighty four games. Huh. So eighty four games and no shutouts, and now uh, three and seven games. So. Uh, we're doing something right, and uh, let, let's hope uh, if we come back next week and we're talking about four and eight games, you know, something went really, really well this weekend. <laughs> let's hope that is not the co- case. Well, as we look forward here to Cyhawk Week this week and the matchup up in Ames, you know, memories that jump out. I, I've been to every game in Kinnick Stadium since, I think, 1996, dating back to that one for the Cyhawk game. But bad memories, certainly in Ames, the one that jumps to mind up there. 2005, preseason top 12 Iowa, top 10 in some spots going into the season. Drew Tate gets knocked out early, and 
that was just a woodshedding. 23-3 the final there. Certainly one that jumps to mind. At least trips heading up to Ames, one of my few times up there. Yeah, and worst memory for me is, is very easy because I was in college at the time, and people forget that in 98, Iowa State whipped us by 18, but we were actually 28-point favorites in that game. And My freshman that, year, I was the bad luck charm. And at that point in time, it was just kind of assumed that Iowa was going to mm-hmm. win and and win big. I mean, and they'd done it for 15 straight years, so it really wasn't – it was just kind of an afterthought. Um, and, and they came in and just kicked our butts. So, yeah, by far the worst memory. Um, and then the, the funny thing is when you flip it and talk about the best memories, almost all of them are, uh, at least in my mind uh, – Games at Jack Trice. Yeah. Um, you know, because the second worst memory, I think, clearly is 2002 when, uh, you know, we're up 24 7 and mm-hmm. then fall apart and Seneca Wallace uh, carries into a victory. But, but there's some sting off of that and the fact that that ended up being a, a, a legendary Iowa team and, and win 11 and 1. And, you know, I, I guess I've kind of sold myself over the years that if, if we, if we don't, lose that game, then we probably don't have as successful of a, you know, we don't go undefeated in the Big Ten. Somewhere along the way, we would have uh, would have stumbled, and that game kind of uh, woke us up a little bit. But Maybe it was a couple weeks later when they played Penn State, blew that big lead. Maybe they don't hold on and find a way to win in overtime. I mean, they're just, there's so many different circumstances that it's easy. Well, they lost one game, and they win that game, and they go 12-0. and You're right. There, there's a lot more that plays into that, though. Yeah. But then on the, on the flip side, like I said, best memories w- would be you know, the the year after that O two game when we finally, you know, it's sad to say, but we had lost five in a row to the clowns and uh go there in O three and put a whooping on and we blocked multiple punts, uh one forty to twenty one. Uh, that game was a lot of fun because it kind of uh you know righted the ship a little bit, I guess. And then the last two trips to Jack Trice I think are two of the uh most memorable to me just because, you know, 2015, people forget that that game ended 31-17, but Iowa was down for a good portion of that game and, and tied with, what, three minutes to go. It was, and not only that, they were down big in the first half and, and until uh, Bethard made that play where he was so close to being sacked in a safety, and what, was it 17-3 at the time before he let him down? I think Maybe it was, it was like 10 to three. At it was that 10 point. three. It would have been 12 three. But it, yeah, it. it very well could have been 12 three. That game goes completely differently. I think if he does, he has the big run getting out of the end zone, giving them room. Iowa comes back in the game and then pulls away with those two late scores to win it. There's been great games there. It's a bad memory, but that triple overtime game with steel chance on the Iowa State side. Well, I don't know if I'd call that a great game. It, it that, was that game was two bad football teams. That we is we true. weren't very good that year, and uh, they weren't either. In an entertaining game, how yes, about that? I'll, yeah, even it, if it, it tilted the wrong way, yeah, seen some good ones in Jack Trice. Yeah, and the last one there, obviously, you know, for so long uh, after '98, it seemed like any time the game was close, Iowa State won. Yeah, yeah. and that's finally kind of turned the last few years. You know, three of the last four wins, you know, at Jack Trice in '15 was a tie game until four minutes to go. You know, '17 we were down ten with what six and a half minutes to go and came back and won. And then last year, six to three with, with four minutes to go again also. So, you know, we finally kind of, I think, turned the tide on close games. And so that gives me a, gives me hope, you know, maybe false hope, but it gives me hope for this weekend <laughs> that if it's a close game, we'll, we'll be all right. Because for the longest time, you know, it just seemed like if it was a close game, we'd find a way to lose it. And, yeah. and that, that seems to have changed. And let's hope that changes uh, 
again on Saturday because I, I think if either team thinks this is going to be a blowout, they're uh, they're fooling themselves. This is going to be a close football game. Yeah, I'm I'm buying into that one. I think this one has a chance to go down the wire. Two teams that are really good defensively. So many matchups I think that are intriguing. Starting in the middle, Ray Lima is as good of a defensive tackle that you're going to find in college football. Not in terms of what he does production wise. He just occupies so much space. So physical going out against Linderbaum, who two games in has him back down. Going to be a big step up, though. Miami of Ohio and Rutgers now going up against Ray Lima. What happens there with the young guys? You know, what Epinesa can do on the outside. Iowa State's offensive line looked awful against you and I that first time out. So, a lot of intriguing matchups here. This is not the Iowa State teams of the past. This is a team that is built differently. And I think most importantly for them, built with that front seven of the defense. They're really good on that side. Well, I think it's a game where we're going to have to realize very early that we're going to struggle to run the ball against them. We're going to have to kind sure. of play backwards, I think. I think early on we're going to have to pass the ball. We're going to have to rely on our, our third-year quarterback um, and be a pass-first team in this game. Hopefully, once you you know, you know kind of establish things and maybe wear them down a little bit, you can establish the run on – you know, later on. And I thought we did a really good job of that against Rutgers because, you know, people kind of forget for the first quarter and a half, we weren't running the ball at all against them. And and I thought Brian Ferentz did a great job of kind of adjusting and saying, all right, we're going to be a a pass first team here. You know, especially he was willing to even pass out of his own end zone after some of the uh, phenomenal punts. And I I think we have to have that same mentality going in on Saturday. If we go in thinking we're going to just push around this Iowa State team, we're in trouble. And I'm confident that Brian Ferentz, you know, it's one of the things I think Brian Ferentz has really done well over the last year, year and a half, is kind of a adapt game to game. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll go in with a pass-first mentality, and I think we'll we'll be aggressive. I, I, I know I'm kind of in the minority on this, but I think this game's going to be a little more high-scoring than, than people yeah. think. I, I think – I, I think Iowa State was incredibly vanilla in their yes. first game, and yep. it almost cost them. But I think you're going to see them be more aggressive also. And I think both teams realize, um, you know, they're going to have to have to take some risks and take some, you know, get some big plays to, to win this. Because both teams obviously have good defenses, but both teams obviously have some, some flaws. Uh, and, and I think probably both teams can say right now that their secondaries are probably their biggest flaws. You know, I, I think our secondary with injuries have lots of questions, and their, you know, their secondary uh, is is the weakness. I mean, their their front seven is definitely their, their strong suit. So, I think you're gonna see both teams take some shots and uh, see an exciting football game. So, as I've gone through this one throughout the whole summer, and I thought Iowa State was gonna win the game, and then after performances, is it overreaction to one week of football? After week one, I started to go the other way. And the point spread has moved with it. And we've seen that public perception there. And I felt back and forth. You know, you talked about if this is a close game, you're more hopeful than you have in the past against Iowa State that Iowa can find a way to win it instead of you know, having Shaggy kick a field goal. A guy couldn't make a field goal throughout his career. He hits five, including the game winner against Iowa. Or Cole Netton, you know, nailing one to beat the Hawks. And finding a way to win these kind of close games I really am struggling with it. I'm, I'm struggling coming up with how this game's going to play out. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird, but I, I always, in a way, envision kind of how I see it playing out. And, and I'm really struggling to come up with that vision of how I expect the game to see. Now, majority of the time, I'm wrong of how the game plays out. But even just coming up with how this game is going to look, I can't see it. I, I Throughout the year, I thought this was going to be first to 20 wins. 2017, 17-13 maybe. You know, a game type like that. And then he said... 
maybe there is more offense and Brian taking shots down the field and what we've seen there. I don't know. I, I really am struggling at this point, Biz, and I got to make a pick today. Well, to me, it's really simple, Trent. It comes down to who plays better, Nate Stanley or Brock Purdy. Hmm. I just don't see either team being able to run the ball consistently on each other. I think both teams are going to have to be willing to pass the ball. Um, you know, Purdy scares me because, as we've seen over and over in the past, you know, quarterbacks that are A, willing to stay patient, and B, are accurate usually the quarterbacks that can have success against Phil Parker's defenses because they rely so much on people making mistakes and, um, you know, screwing up. And, and Purdy's not the kind of type of guy that's going to screw up. And um, so, I mean, it worries me. But on the flip side, Nate Stanley's played really, really well for the first two games. And uh, <laughs> we've talked about it in the past. <laughs> uh, when Nate Stanley plays well, Iowa plays well. And when he doesn't, uh, it Unfortunately, it's usually been against good teams on the road. So I, I hate to oversimplify it, but if Nate Stanley plays, I think I th- truly do think we are the better team than them. Mm-hmm. But they've got two huge things going for them. One, the home field advantage. And two, uh, will Nate will bad Nate Stanley show up? I mean, if he's the guy that uh, struggled against uh, Penn State last year or you know, against Wisconsin and Michigan State the year before, then, then quite simply, we're, we have no chance. Right. And yeah. so uh, – like I said, it's it's oversimplifying it, but to me, it's it's Nate Stanley versus Brock Purdy because I think both teams have very good defenses, both teams have capable running games, both teams you know they're kind of a mirror image in some ways. Um, so, w- which quarterback plays better? Pretty simple, pretty simple. Well, let's get into our picks right now, and uh, as we come into this week, as we changed it up this year, a little bit different. You on the season last week lost a hundred bucks. You're down to those still. In the positive, making money or $100 like thank ahead. the Tennessee Volunteers for being unable to uh, guard a Hail Mary. For- I, I had some people say you're very frustrated with those balls last weekend. Well, that's my own fault. Why I believe that Tennessee would, uh, you know, I, I was very confident that Tennessee would turn it around. And, and they should have. They had the game won. But uh, there's a reason they've been terrible the last couple of years. Me, even money last week and still two down 200 on the season. So we'll try to get even better or even worse here this week. And uh, I got five games. I'm betting 100 across the board on five different bets here. You ready to start with the big one? You want to go Iowa State in the way you're allocating your dollars here this week? Let's do it. Yeah, I, I'm the same as you, though. I've got five total. I've got Iowa, or I've got the Iowa State game and then then four others. So uh, let, let's jump in and do Iowa State first. So uh, I'm going to do something different here. I'm going to play this game. I'm going to play the spread. I'm not going to do a total or anything like that. But I'm going to play one of the alternate lines that are out from William Hill. From William Hill. I saw those. Yeah, there's, there's, they're treating it like, these, like the uh, Super Bowl that it is in the state of Iowa. they got some weird lines out there. So I had to make a choice yesterday. I was on with the Des Moines Register guys with Chad Leistico and uh, Mark Emmert. And I yeah, picked... can, I, can, I, can I complain about that, by the way? <laughs> uh, you can take it up with HR. They're well, downstairs. No, I, I listened to it last night, and I always enjoy their podcast, and you did, did a great job with them. But uh, – you had Kelton Copeland on and didn't ask him a single question about the uh, phenomenal coaching that Statboy and I have done to, to get his daughter a rec league softball championship. So. Well, we're going to have Polisek on next week. Do you have any connections to Tim? He, he lives in our neighborhood, so I, I've or the neighborhood we're going to be moving into. So I, I've seen him a couple times, but no. He, uh, no, don't have no. that same connection? No. You, so you missed your chance Trent, to really uh, – let's be honest. He obviously learned a few things because we've talked – that. The receiving core has, has looked better this year. Yeah, it, he probably picked up a point or two from Stat Boy and I. I mean, just <laughs> can only guess. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, 
It's a good. There's assumption. a lot of similarities between our, uh, you know, nine-year-old rec league softball team, where we're we're teaching kids uh, which way to hold the bat, <laughs> and uh, you know his. Uh, what he's done over two plus years as the, as the wide receiver coach. So. Well, you show a lot of patience there. He's shown a lot of patience with Amir Smith Marset, and yeah. look at look at See, the fruit exactly. that it's bearing. There you go. See, if you just asked about it, I'm sure he would have. Uh, well, given, you know, I've, given us our credit. I've been keeping an eye on these two rec league coaches, and boy, are yeah. they good! I can only imagine that's what it is. I got a number here. So Iowa on this alternate point spread, you can basically move the point spread all over the place. I'm gonna lay. Instead of the two and a half currently that the point spread is with the Hawks, I'm going to lay seven and a half. I'm going to lay seven and a half, and I'm going to get plus money, plus 180, if Iowa gets the cover in this one. I, I really hate that bet, Trent. Well, I, I just. Seven and a half is a big number for this game. You think it is? Yeah. You think it is? I can have a feeling that this Iowa State offensive line is as bad as it looked. And now with Newell banged up there and good Jones, I mean, that guy. He's never got better since his freshman year. He was a good player as a freshman, and I don't think there's been a whole lot that the Iowa defensive front's going to cause a lot of problems. And much like we saw last year, that Iowa State just isn't going to be able to move the football. And that's kind of what I see. You know, something along the lines of 24-13, something like that. So that's where I'm going there, just because two and a half's the number. I feel all right, but I need some plus money. Plus, I'm down a couple hundred bucks. I got to find a way to get back you're, here. You're Chris. chasing your loss. Chasing in already three, in week three. That is that is called the, the Rick's method. I mean, <laughs> yes. You start chasing the dragon in week three, <laughs> things are not going well for you. So, all right. So, so walk me through this. You are getting the Hawks minus seven and a half for plus one eighty. Is that yes. correct? How much money are you putting on them? A hundred bucks. Hundred bucks right. across the board on all five of my bets this week. All right. Well, I have absolutely no confidence in this bet, but uh, I'm going to uh, ride the horse until it bucks me off, Trent. We're, you and I are both, I believe, two for two on the Hawks mm-hmm. to cover the first two weeks. So. Don't overthink it, Trent. Give me the Hawks minus two and a half, but I'm only putting 50 bucks on them. Simple enough. I can buy that. I'm completely in 50 bucks on the Hawks minus the two and a half for the first pick. All right. Your next pick here, Biz. You still got $450 here to play with. I've only got 150 picks, so we'll get that one out of the way right away. Uh, Give me Central Florida minus seven and a half. I I think... uh, They've been waiting, what, three years now to get a, a legitimate opponent uh, to come there and, and play them during the season. Um, I think they're going to put a whooping on Stanford. And I don't think Stanford's a bad team, but they've had some significant injuries the first couple weeks. Uh, and uh, the quarterback that they had to put in against USC last week was not good. So uh, give me UCF minus 7.5 for uh, my, my big bet of the week, 150. 150 on that one. All right, we continue with the $100 wagers here. I'm going to go back-to-back here just with a couple of hold your nose and, and go with the picks where the numbers are inflated. The first one, Syracuse, it's the ABC night game. They looked awful, just absolutely as bad as he could against Maryland. Couldn't get off the field. Dino's Babers teams, though, have played really well against Clemson. Had them beat a year ago in Clemson. Now they're back home where they beat them two years ago on a Friday night as Kelly Bryant got hurt in that game for Clemson. I just think that there's certain teams that play better against certain systems, and that has been the case with Syracuse. It'll be a revved-up crowd, a good environment. You're getting four touchdowns. It's up to 28 now after starting at 27.5. Grab the four touchdowns there. My other one with the big number and hold your nose is UCLA. It hit 24 yesterday. It's back down to 23 and a half. Team from the Big Ten, Big 12, whatever it is, going to the West Coast historically has been terrible. UCLA's looked awful. I think most 
Kind of power numbers have this as about a 17-point game. You're basically almost getting a free touchdown here. I don't like it, but it is the contrarian in me. I'll take UCLA again this week and uh, hope for the best against Oklahoma. Jumping on the uh, Chip Kelly bandwagon. <laughs> There's plenty of room on that bandwagon. Yes, currently. very true. Well, I will lump all three of mine, my final bets together since they're all $100 bets. Um, first one of the three, everybody's uh, jumped off the Scott Frost bandwagon currently, mm-hmm. but uh, I think this is a game where they, they come back and absolutely destroy Northern Illinois this weekend. I don't know why this spread is only 14. Northern Illinois is not a very good MAC team this year. They're, they're mediocre. Um, Nebraska is going to want to revenge after losing to them last year. It's a night game in, in Lincoln. I think Frost will want to send a message and win big. So give me Nebraska minus 14. Uh, give me NC State minus 6.5 at West Virginia. Just very simple. West Virginia is awful. I mean, absolutely yes, awful are. this year. And, so, and I think NC State, although they're not great, they have a very good defense. Um, I, I think West Virginia will struggle to get to double digits against them. So give me a, give me the Wolfpack minus six and a half. And my last one, just because the spread makes no sense whatsoever, give me Air Force plus four at Colorado. Ah. I, I just don't understand that. I mean, I, obviously it's the letdown factor. Colorado uh, is flying high after uh, their big win last week. Air Force has had a bye. It's obviously a weird system to prepare for. So give me Air Force plus four. Plus four with Air Force. All right. I like that one. That's one that jumped off the page. It makes no sense. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Another one, and that's another one of my wagers that doesn't make any sense, as I talked about Maryland and their dominating performance earlier. Temple only getting a touchdown against this Maryland team that that has been absolutely whitewashing everybody. I don't get it. It doesn't make a lick of sense. And because that, I'm going to jump aboard here, grab Temple, grab the touchdown. And I have a feeling by kickoff, They'll probably tick up another half point. There'll be even more Maryland money, public money that comes in late. You'll probably be able to get a little bit more there, so keep an eye out there. Grab Temple, though, plus the seven. And my final pick is a three-team teaser. All right. Again. It's a weekly tradition. We're looking for any way to add a little bit of money. Three-team teaser with the six and a half, so I'm getting plus 130 here on the three-teamer. I agree with you. Nebraska's part of mine. Drop them down from 14 down to seven and a half. Also add with it Virginia, move them down to minus one at home for Florida State, who has looked, I mean, talk about looking bad last week against Louisiana Monroe after jumping out to a 14 nothing lead. Is going to make it through the year? He might be done midway through. I, I think we're trending that direction. And the final part of it, how is Michigan State a two-touchdown favorite against I saw Arizona some State. places that's up to 14 and a half is it well I, it just I, keeps going up yeah, I had a 14 let's move it down to seven and a half here something stinks again about that line too so they have to win by more than a touchdown I think they will something seems off on that one so I'm going to go that route so the teaser three teams all three of them have to cover in order to win this one as you move it Virginia minus one Nebraska minus seven and a half Michigan State minus seven and a half a three-teamer to win 130. So to wrap up the uh, the gambling portion of our, our of our show here, Trent, big news: Stat Boy, yes, hit a nine team parlay last weekend. Why was it, was he listening to debates? What's going on here? Nine teamer, but uh, it was one of those parlays where he picked the nine like heaviest favorites he could uh. find. So he bar- it was barely even plus money. I think it was like a nine team <laughs> parlay, and he won like plus one ten. So, uh, but hey, a, a win is a win, and, and he did it. Uh, I think he texted me and said, I believe the, the reason he won it 
it came down to uh, the Louisiana Monroe kicker missing oh, the extra point. Wow. That was one of the nine. So, uh, so he's uh, so maybe, maybe we should uh, get another reason to get Statboy back on the uh, back yes. on the air here. He's he's not only uh, our uh, heart and soul when it comes to stats. Maybe he's the uh, better gambler as well. Stat Boys Parlay of the Week. I think that might be yes. a new segment here on the DH Podcast. Well, pr- pretty simple. Go find uh, <laughs> 10 teams that are all favored by uh, 14 or more and put them all together. Find the ones that you like best and hit that round. Well, we are looking to make a little bit more money this week. The prop sheets are out at William Hill. Did Was there anything that jumped out there in the Cyhawk game? Anything that you, of these props that you looked at? I played the alternate line, but you said, you know what? Maybe that's worth a, a fire here, a little unit to, to toss out. The one, I guess I would, if I had to choose one, I, like I said, I think the game's going to be a little more high scoring mm-hmm. than than we think it is. And so if you could, I think you can drop it down to 38 and a half on the over-under. If, yeah. you, if you can get down to 38 and a half, I, I would take the over. Uh, I think you got to bet like minus 200 then. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, I don't think it's going to be quite as low scoring as everybody thinks it is. Do I think it's going to be 44-41? You know, Absolutely not. But I think it's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be 24 21, somewhere in that range. And I think both teams, like I said, are going to be a little more aggressive offensively than, than we've been, than, than we saw last year, at least. So, um, so if I had to pick one, uh, I'm never a huge fan of these alternate point lines. But if, if, if I had to choose one, I'd drop the, uh, drop the over down, over under down to 38 and a half and, and take the over. So, uh, one that's intriguing the overtime. We've seen this twice in Jack Trice here in recent history. Five to one, if you bet the yes, will there be overtime? Noah's minus 700 on the backside of it. I mean, certainly you're not going to be wanting to bet will there be overtime at minus 700, but maybe worth a couple of shekels there to throw out there, get another overtime game, because I do think this is going to be a close game. There's a chance this could be, you know, turn into that coin flip type of game by the time we get into the fourth quarter. These are two pretty even teams. So that's something to keep an eye on at the very least to look at. But those are the props. Biz, before we leave, let's hit... Biz's Beat of the Week. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. <sighs> well, Trent, Biz's Beat of the Week, it wouldn't be uh, appropriate to, if it wasn't Cyhawk related. And it's pretty simple, Trent. This is our chance uh, to put little brother kind of back in their place. Um, you know, we've talked about the Cyhawk rivalry and uh, whether this is the most important or the, or the best Iowa State game of all time, that's debatable. I mean, obviously the ni- 1977 one uh, was pretty important because it brought the rivalry back. The 2002 game was, was pretty important. Both of those games were, were in Kinnick. Uh, I think it's pretty much indisputable that this is the most important game in the Jack Trice field, history, Jack Trice yep. Stadium history. So, you know, they've got everything going as far as game day being there. Um you know, important game. Let, this is a chance to show the whole nation uh, that the state always has been and always will be a Hawkeye state. So let's uh, let's put them back in their place and uh, show show the show the nation that even on the most important uh, day of Iowa State's uh, illustrious football history, uh, they're still <laughs> not good enough to beat the Hawks. So uh, go Hawks! It could be a good one coming up this weekend. Uh, looking forward to it. Three o'clock kickoff game day will be there. If you're a direct TV subscriber, though, and looking to catch game day, could be a little bit of a problem there. That has to be a big bluff, doesn't it? I, I mean, certainly I, hope that's the case. Yeah, I, 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 
obviously it's enough of a concern that if you watch ESPN for more than 30 minutes, they're putting mm-hmm. ads up there all the time saying don't lose uh, don't lose ESPN. But I, I, I'd be shocked, I guess, if, if that doesn't uh, get you – know, if not fixed, at least they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to bump it back 30 days while we continue to right. negotiate. It seems like one of those things where uh, somebody's going to call it the bluff there. But uh, yeah, uh, otherwise there's going to be a, some angry, angry people throughout the state. <laughs> well, Biz, let's uh, try it again next week and uh, talk about another Hawkeye victory. All right, go Hawks. <laughs>